Good morning. My name is Jay Rosenthal, and I'm the Managing Director of Business of Cannabis. Welcome to the Cannabis Daily Show for Wednesday, March 30th, 2020. Since 2017, we've highlighted the companies, brands, people, and trends driving the cannabis industry, and we look to do that here every day. We'd love to hear from you in the comments, and always feel free to visit us at businessofcannabis.com, as well as through all of our social channels, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and if you're watching this on YouTube, please do subscribe. Following the rundown of today's top cannabis news and industry insights, Lucas McCann of CanDelta will join our, for our B of C live conversation to talk about recent changes and reversals, frankly, and Ontario regulations governing brands and retailer relationships. Today at noon, we will convene our retail series for the month. It'll be made possible by Leafly and Vitrina Group to best understand how to prepare your cannabis retail store or dispensary for the 420 holiday. Experts will speak about staffing, inventory, customer demographics, data, and previous 420s, including pricing, marketing, and much, much more. Information about how to register for free below. The event starts at noon Eastern. In September, we'll be in New York for Business of Cannabis New York, a two-day bonanza. Information and links are also below. For today's top stories, U.S. budget protects state medical cannabis program but maintains D.C.'s ban. Canadian retailers are rejoicing at the aforementioned white labeling reversal. Cannabis research bill passes in the U.S. Senate. eBay, eBay's U.K. CBD sales to be permanent. For our first story, President Joe Biden's proposed budget for fiscal year 2023 would maintain the ban on adult-use cannabis sales in Washington, D.C., but does retain a rider that protects legal cannabis programs from being disrupted by federal forces. This is in marijuana moment. The budget for last fiscal year also neglected to remove the D.C. ban. Here's a quote from D.C.'s member of Congress, although she cannot vote on legislation. I have a hard time reconciling the administration's strong support for D.C. statehood, which would give D.C. not only voting representation in Congress, but also full local self-government with a budget that prohibits D.C. from spending its local funds on recreational marijuana commercialization. Her name is Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton. With Democrats controlling the White House, House and Senate, we have the best opportunity in over a decade to enact a budget that does not contain any anti-home rule riders. A long list of things D.C. does not have representation on. For our second story, after initially signaling that it would ban the white labeling of cannabis products by retailers, the AGCO, the Alcohol Gaming Commission of Ontario, reversed that decision and agreed to amend the registrar's standards for cannabis retail stores to allow it. After all, it's going to be effective June 30th and Ontario stores will be officially allowed to work with licensed cannabis producers to create store brands for products. Here's a quote from the president and CEO of High Tide. The AGCO has shown that it is willing to listen to the concerns of stakeholders. Today's revisions to the registrar standards will mean that when it comes to white label products and store brands, Ontario's cannabis retailers will be treated on par with other retail sectors, both regulated and unregulated. To learn more, you can tune in at 10 o'clock uh, right after, sorry, right after this uh, Cannabis Daily Show for a conversation with Lucas McCann uh, of CanDelta, our official regulatory advisory, to get the latest details. For our third story, a new measure that would allow the U.S. FDA to research cannabis products was approved by the U.S. Senate, but it still needs to go to the House, and this is all in MJ Biz. 
It's a bipartisan initiative co-sponsored by Republican Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa and Democrat Brian Schatz of Hawaii. This bipartisan bill is critical to better understand the marijuana plant and its potential benefits and side effects. This is a statement from Chuck Grassley. It will empower the FDA to analyze CBD and medical marijuana products in a safe and responsible way so that the American public can decide whether to utilize them in the future based on sound scientific data. For our final story, initially thought to be a pilot project for England and Wales shoppers, eBay UK told Business Can that regulated CBD products will, quote, be available permanently on eBay. The details, 20 bands so far have been approved for sale in 15 eBay stores. Sales were expected to launch last October, but there have been <clears throat> delays due to regulatory issues. Now, products will be available under a CBD category rather than health and wellness. More vendors are invited to apply for approval to sell on eBay UK. Again, the full story is on Business Can. There's a link on businessofcannabis.com. Those are the stories we're watching today. Join 12,000 others and catch all these stories in your inbox every day at 7 a.m. Eastern with our Cannabis Daily Newsletter. Coming up on our BFC Live segment, we connect with Lucas McCann of CanDelta to give insight into the new rules governing brands and retailers in Ontario, specifically white labeling options for Ontario retailers. This is Lucas McCann of CanDelta. CanDelta is the official regulatory advisory of Business of Cannabis. McCann, when I see okay. regulatory changes come across on Twitter, which is probably not where they actually come across, I think about calling you. I have called you. Are you ready to be peppered? Jay, I feel like we were just sitting at this table a month ago having this conversation and we're revisiting we, it again. We were, but can I, I just went back and watched it. You were uh, at part of our retail series last month about what new regulations in Ontario were for retailers and brands in that relationship. And um, I'll categorize it as like retailers were about to get something plucked from them that was going to be very good, white label products that they could work with LPs and launch in their store. But then what happened? <laughs> What's going on now? Well, then there was public outcry and a village holding pitchforks and torches that walked down to the AGCO's headquarters at uh, Young and Shepherd and uh, were banging on doors with, uh, with some, some ideas. Yeah, and, and, and uh, some ideas because they've had them and they were getting taken away. But what, what do we know now that we didn't know then? And, and is this the final word? Talk about sort of the process, but also what we know now and what's, what will be set in stone. Okay, yeah, great. Uh, so let, let, let's go back a month. In February, there was an announcement from the AGCO. Uh, this was part of a long time running you know, public consultation process that dates back all the way to fall of 21, in which the AGCO had encountered some interesting situations in the industry that pertain to inducements from licensed producers. And it makes sense that LPs and retailers you know, should be friends. They, they would be friends. Um, and the AGCO was just introducing a bit of a rule book for how that relationship should work. So the change were updated standards to the registrar standards, which is the rule book for Ontario. Okay. And what that indicated, sorry, here, I'm getting a call. No, no, it's okay. You're busy. What New that rules, indicated, you're yeah. get calls, <laughs> uh, what, what, what the rules were was really just um, about um, the kinds of gifts that LPs could give retailers. And it makes sense that you'd want to give them gifts, you'd want to impress them so they buy your products. Um, so 
LPs are limited in the kinds of gifts that they could give bud tenders and managers and operators. This has to be something of nominal value. So swag, the AGCO said like, okay, the AGCO said swag, that's okay. We don't have an issue with that as long as it's, you know, a reasonable amount. We're not talking about truckloads of t-shirts. Uh, so that was fine, you know. Um, if there was something happening in terms of training, you know, it really had to happen on site for the retailer or you had to take at most a bus to get there. You couldn't fly bud tenders around the country and wow them at, you know, Banff Hot Springs or uh, Chateau Lake Louise. Okay, fair. We get that too. That that makes sense. Um, you can sell your, your data as a retailer to LPs that they agreed to. Um, and as long as that, that is going for fair market value. You know, we could be talking about thousands or tens of thousands, but probably not hundreds or millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. So um, that's still a gray area that really no one has really sort of hashed out yet, but fair. Um, and then if you're working uh, as an LP and you have a vested interest in a retailer in the sense that you're, you're, uh, you're, you're an investor, you can own up to 25% or you're franchising out uh, with, with a retailer, there's, there's some language about the kinds of en engagements you can, you can give and the financing that you could provide to those companies, which would make sense since you're allowed to be a part owner of a retail store. But there was this one other change that just sort of got looped into these, uh, these standards surrounding inducements as well. And I think this was a, a very hot point of contention for people on both sides of this announcement. And again, these announcements that were happening in February, this was on February 8th, were only supposed to take effect in June. So nothing actually ever changed or, or happened. It was really just a signal to the industry that this might happen. There was an uproar, I guess, from, from retailers and LPs. Um, they engaged the AGCO in a lot of dialogue and conversation. And it, uh, it was uncovered that it was in the best interest for the AGCO and for retailers and LPs to sort of reverse this decision about allowing for licensees to enter into agreement to create cannabis branded products, um, such as branded pre-rolls as a for instance. So now there's actual language about this uh, that's been reversed uh, that will be reflected in the updated standards and come into effect on June 30th as well. Uh, and I think a big part of the issue here was that there were, uh, for example, a lot of retailers that had entered into these long tail agreements with LPs um, that backing out would have just caused a lot of, I think, material damage. Yeah. And so just to clarify, I like being Michael Scott in this type of conversation. Sure. Talk to me like I'm an eight-year-old. Now I have, I have Jay's Cannabis. And now I can have Jay's Cannabis Jay's in my retail store, assuming I can find an LP to help produce and all that. Exactly. Yep. And that's that's another kind of relationship that you're allowed to engage with, with licensed producers as well. And so it, I, I think there was this idea that this could have been like a, a loophole that they wanted to close. Um, but the AGCO, and, and then again, this is something that, you know, Can Delta really applauds, that the industry stakeholders are really applauding, has, has reversed that decision to, to take that away. Yeah, I mean, it's great for retailers, great for consumers, you know, it's it, it, great for LPs, like it's, there's a bunch of win, 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 assuming everybody uh, can, you know, find partners and get products on the shelves. Can, can I ask you a question, because we've had previous conversations about sort of the flow through program, like this impacts that, like, what is, like, if I'm a retailer, and I want to have these J's J's, like, do I still have to put it through the um, Ontario cannabis store, the wholesaler and buy it from them? And everybody else has access to the same J's J's? Correct. Yes. So it's going to be part of the, the flow through model as well, which has uh, been in sort of a, a practice state for some time. Uh, and then, yeah, in, in theory, you, you could go and buy your competitor's products. Yeah, but that's not out of the realm of possibility, I guess. So it's not, it is a flow through program in that me as a retailer can have products 
on the Ontario cannabis store, but they could also sell those products to the Ontario cannabis store. They, they would. And yeah, there's no exclusive rights anywhere in the Ontario Canadian cannabis or the Ontario part of the Canadian cannabis industry. Um, the only way you can really differentiate yourself, it seems now, is going to be with with store, uh, with your brand and with the customer experience that you have in brick and mortar. Can I dive into that a bit? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because that, that that seems to me like and I, I like I mean, I think we should all think about sort of the mom and pop cannabis retail stores, right? I have one or three or five stores. Now I've entered in a relationship with a licensed producer to produce my pre-rolls that are branded as my store would. It goes through the same process and I actually have to get, have to get them into the Ontario cannabis store too, through that process, like through the, they need to accept them, they need to take them in, they need to place an order, but then I don't have exclusive rights to them. So, I mean, I, am I, can I make money on them even if I don't buy them? Like what's the, what's that relationship like? Is it uh, yeah. So can you make money on them even if you don't buy them? I mean, yeah, in theory, you can. If, if there are other folks that are, are snatching up these products and product is moving, you know, if the spice is flowing, the, the dollars move, right? You know, you always got to follow the money on that. So for sure. Uh, that, that's a great point. Um, yeah, certainly. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, I, I don't think is going to be leveraged sort of in that way. I, I, I don't think this is something that people intend to sort of sort of uh, may, maybe even abuse in, in that sense. I think this is really just to give retailers an, uh, a, a small way, you know, a, a small um, something back so that they can sort of brand themselves and differentiate themselves and, and allow consumers to take that store experience with them outside of their doors. Was that a Star Wars reference just then? Was it? <laughs> I, I, I think no it was. I think it just, I think, I think you just quoted the book of Boba Fett. If I'm not mistaken, I have to go back and look, but you saying that, we just watched the whole thing. And I, th I think there was a quote just like that. that Everybody be okay as long as the spice is moving. Um, turned out, well, I don't want to ruin the book of Boba Fett, but watch it. It's great. Um, uh, now I'm really down a rabbit hole. Um, and, and so what, it, like you talk to lots of retailers, you talk to lots of producers, you understand the we process do. really yeah. well with the AGCO and the Ontario Cannabis Store. Like this seems like a good would-be reversal of something that hadn't gone into effect yet. Yeah, absolutely. And it really is, you know, and maybe this is just a, a signal to the AGCO about how we can engage stakeholders in, in public consultation earlier on, instead of saying, you know, haha, here's a new set of rules and, you know, unroll the scroll and then here it is. And then public outcry happens. Um, and, and perhaps it is a function of the AGCO, maybe not being completely aware of the nature and, uh, and the magnitude of a lot of these agreements. So we've, uh, we've put in contact retailers with licensed producers for the purposes of white labeling and branding. And these agreements again, you know, they're going to be for thousands, if not tens of thousands of units, but also to be produced over a long period of time. And that requires a certain amount of upfront capital for that retailer as well, that, uh, you know, once it gets to, you know, for a lot of folks uh, that are, are processors in the industry, you know, that that's kind of money spent and gone. Um, so they really need to be able to deliver on that uh, in order to to not be materially impacted and, and to cause irreparable harm to, uh, to a lot of the industry. And these agreements were, were set to take place, not just for, you know, one to two weeks, but for a period of months and sometimes over a period of a year, in some cases, a few years. Yeah. So um, having sort of that 
carpet ripped out from from underneath uh, uh, the folks in the industry. Um, you know that that was something that was very unsettling. And uh, again, very happy that they've 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 gone back on that and have allowed folks to at least I mean not even at least finish these contracts out, but now sort of carry on that uh, that branding agreement that they've they've entered into with full intention um, of of being able to complete on those agreements. And again, this was never something that was brought up when the Cannabis License Act came up and, and the first standards were published uh, during the time of the lottery. Um, these uh, these inducements were really brought into play because you know something happened in the industry that the AGCO got wind of. Um, you know, Xbox is being given out to to bun tenders selling the most of one kind of product, and there there was this unfair advantage that largely favored the large people. So not the mom and pops, right? So. You know, from from our perspective, Can Delta is really happy about the fact that there is something here to level the playing field for small business. We're a big supporter of small businesses. We work with a lot of micros, and we've licensed 10% of Ontario's retail. So for for us to be able to help. Uh, or, or to see that that's going to be a business that's going to be sustained for the smaller players, we're really happy about. Um, and again, these inducements, with the exception of that one now, that 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 point sort of six that was added towards the end of the standards, and we can share the the link now because they're they're posted on the AGCO's blog. Uh, I, I think this is going to be something that really continues to favor the little folks uh, that are that are out there running a small business and are are literally mom and pop shops and maybe haven't even paid themselves. Right. Well, th that's that's all for the better, of course. But it also underscores the I think the bigger picture as you zoom out. This industry is not for the faint of heart. Things change radically from one. Well, we were just talked about this last month, and and it was something you were saying. You know, this is going to be really hard for small businesses, and it's been reversed, which is great. But that even shift back to what it was causes a lot of headache and um, and ulcers. I would imagine. Yeah. And, you know, after this much time past legalization, we really want to see doors continue to open as opposed to sort of the, the noose around the bag sort of continue to tighten and for things to sort of get more restricting. You know, we've we've realized that hell hasn't broken loose and we, we need some easement on regulations. You know, we're seeing that with the updated change to the uh, uh, the act in terms of the total amount of beverages that can be purchased now. Um, and and th th that's the direction that we should be going. We, we shouldn't be thinking about restricting businesses. In, in, in that capacity. But again, I, I feel very strongly that the AGCO does have small business interest at heart. That's something that they've gone on the record saying uh, versus an entity like Health Canada, which really just wants to uphold the spirit of the regulations and cares nothing about the fate of the industry, right. in my opinion. Well, let's, uh, to your words, uh, let's keep the spice flowing. Let's keep it flowing, man. That's a Dune reference, by the way. Oh, it is? Yeah. Well, I'm going to find it as well in Book of Boba Fett because I, honestly, it's definitely there because um, I haven't watched Dune, um, even though Timothy Chalamet is like all over our house and uh, lots of references to him. Um, thank you, Lucas, as always. Thank you for your partnership with Candelta as our official regulatory advisory. We, uh, we rely on the information and so does our audience. So thanks for your time. Hey, it's my pleasure. Great to see you again. Nice to see you. That was episode 57 of the Cannabis Daily Show for those keeping track. Thank you for joining us here on YouTube or wherever you caught the program. Please do subscribe and we'll see you on Thursday.